This episode of the Inform Fitness Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. To receive a special discount code for 15% off of your first order, email tim at inboundpodcasting.com. Information, welcome in. You're listening to the Inform Fitness Podcast, 20 minutes with Adam Zickerman and friends. I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network, and joining us from the Toluca Lake Inform Fitness Studio here in Los Angeles is Sheila Melody. Hey, Sheila. Hey, guys. And across the country in New York City, the GM in the, from the Manhattan location is Mike Rogers. What's up, Mike? Hello. And... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Tim. Hello, Sheila. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And joining us right next from, I can't do that accent. I'm just going to move forward. And next to Mike is the founder of Inform Fitness, New York Times bestselling author of Power of 10, the once a week slow motion fitness revolution, Adam Zickerman. What's up, guru? Hey, I, I don't, I don't do English. Was my, was that English, Australian, <laughs> or Irish, or, or both? Wait, I don't do any of those. I figure we could all talk like this for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All that right. would be just Kidding. lovely. That would be lovely. Adam's not participating. Every time I try to do an accent, I, don't, I just sound like I'm coming from like New Delhi or wherever. Why don't you try? <laughs> New Delhi, that's a new spin. Uh, really? Give, give, us, give us an Italian accent and let's see how New Delhi in that look sounds. <laughs> I don't even want to try it. So I'm going uh, uh, no. to... All right. So Adam... Adam do you like some veal parmesan? <laughs> <laughs> Get the best spaghetti and meatballs it's, it's true. in all of New York City, in all of New Delhi. Whenever I try to do a British accent, now I, I sound like an Indian. Oh, I mean, so, like so you know there's no way we can let you go any further without trying. So why don't you just um, give us a couple of sentences on the power of 10 in your Italian accent. New Delhi. Park the car. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Oh, okay, yeah, that is New Delhi. Was, uh, okay. right, wow. You're right. You don't sound like you're from Boston. That was Boston. from Boston, right? That was, that's an Indian that lives in Boston. There it is, yes. <laughs> With Okay, Adam, don't do accents. Okay, <laughs> don't do that. Anymore. I really it's didn't a, expect that. Adam, to don't be, do that. Stop doing that. No. That that's gonna that that hurts. I that didn't hurts. expect that to actually be true, but it is. <laughs> it kind of is. It's kind of spot on. <laughs> so okay. uh, one day, while Adam was at a uh, New Delhi restaurant in Boston, he ran across this Time magazine. <laughs> yes, I was eating chicken mukni. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even alone know. so I figured I'd grab right it across from Paul Revere's house reflecting <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on his midnight ride <laughs> a few hundred years <laughs> later <some> chicken curry <laughs> chicken butter masala <laughs> and I can't and I see I see literally I see the cover of the Time Magazine article that came out in uh, September of this year mm-hmm and right on the cover, it says the exercise cure. Mm, so you were hooked immediately. Yeah, and the subtitle was the surprising science of a life-changing workout. And we were like, wait a second. We like, do exercise. Wait a second. This may be relevant to wait us. Wait a second. I have the life-changing workout. <laughs> Let's and see And he never contacted me when they wrote this article. <laughs> so, of course, I threw away my chicken muckney. <laughs> Good. Cleaned you, off your you fingers. Mm-hmm. Right into this article, and um, it's such a perfect article f- for a couple of reasons. One, it cites some of the research, recent research about exercise, and 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 how 
powerful exercise can be for our health. Adam, you mentioned the McMaster University studies several times in previous episodes. Exactly. And, and they mentioned it too. So I, was, I was, so I was super excited. Mm-hmm. But I was also uh, somewhat, well, I wouldn't say disappointed because it's kind of expected, but I was also like, ugh. They had to say that, right? They just had to go and say this or that and go back to the normal dogmatic belief system and contradicting, in a way, what the rest of the article was kind of touting and talking about. Were they contradictions or were they just reporting? They were reporting. I mean, listen, the, the person writing this article is not a scientist, right? So, and, and so when... Uh, and, and even scientists use the word, for example, I mean, I, I, we're not ready to get into this part of it yet. I'd rather talk about some of the other things, but, but I'm just saying, like, for example, they use, they, they use the term aerobic and anaerobic, and, right. and uh, in my opinion, wrong again. As, as most, even doctors and exercise physiologists uh, refer to them wrong, because we have this idea of what anaerobic exercise and uh, aerobic exercise is. But it's kind of misconstrued. Well, let's not jump ahead. Actually, let, let's go no, ahead. I don't and, want to jump and, ahead. And yeah. please, you mentioned the name of the article, and they interviewed Dr. Tarnopolsky, who is is yes, he's one of the researchers at um, McMaster University. And so let's go into what the article had to say a little bit first about what you agreed with. Then we'll go into a little bit of maybe some of the contradictions yeah. slash reportings and findings. Yeah, yeah, somewhat confusing. Yeah, so. So the good stuff, the stuff I'm really excited about. And I'm mostly excited than I am uh, somewhat uh, disappointed for sure. Yeah, some so of the research that's going to be taking place, as mentioned in this article, is very exciting and really supports what we're doing here at Inform Fitness. Yeah, well, you know what's kind of interesting? Adam, Adam told me, uh, I read the article also independently, but uh, he, you know, Adam recommended the article to a few clients to read and they were like, why did you ask me to read this article? Yes, you know, cause right. it's kind of, so, so it, we are jumping ahead again. Yeah. So, so cause again, the article talks about a lot of things we are talking about and we tell our clients, which is this, and, and, and let, let's get into this study that you just mentioned from Mark Tarnopolsky. Tarnopolsky. It's a hard name to pronounce. Mm-hmm. Tarnopolsky. Uh, so, so this doctor did a really cool study. So there are these mice that have this genetic disease that ages them extremely fast. So like if the normal lifespan of a, of, a, of a mouse is like seven years, these mice get old and die of old age and the disease is associated with old age within like a year uh, or maybe sooner. And I, and I believe other animals and, and I think even human, there's a disease for humans too that ages them very, very rapidly. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of that movie uh, w- with uh, Benjamin Brad Pitt, yeah. where he starts getting younger. Right. So there, there are these metabolic genetic diseases that actually age you at an accelerated rate. So these mice are a perfect type of uh, subject to to test whether exercise is truly, as I've said very often, the, the fountain of youth. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they took half the group of mice that had this disease and as the control group and they didn't do anything with them. And the other half of the, of, of the group actually exercised. And the progression of the genetic disease, the, the, the bottom line here is the progression of the genetic disease was delayed substantially, significantly. I mean, this was a double-blind study. In other words, the, the researchers had no idea which mice were the control group and which mice were um, 
exercising. In the experimental mm-hmm. group. Right, mm-hmm. the experimental group. And what ended up happening was they, they without even without even looking at the, you know, which was which at the end, they knew. Very different. Mm-hmm. The group of mice that were actually exercising looked practically as good as mice that didn't have this disease. Mm-hmm. So I've always been saying that, you know, when you do intense exercise especially, there are physiological changes that are occurring that, that uh, truly keep you from aging as you know, even at a normal pace. So it's, it's, it's profound. It's profound. And that's why the name of this article is called The Exercise Cure. And now, obviously, it's not making us immortal. But like these mice, we suspect that exercise can really delay the aging process or delay entropy, as I like to say. This breaking down, this eventual breaking down of our bodies. So that that that's exciting. That was really exciting. Now, obviously, that's good news for mice, <laughs> as the article says. Right. Uh, and of course, we we we'd be uh, you know wrong to extrapolate that to human beings at this point. But it definitely warrants further study, and it's very promising. Yeah, there's a couple of things, and and I'm just going to quote real quick uh, that I thought were interesting. First of all, from before. The, the study that's coming up, it said next year the NIH will launch its six-year, $170 million study with a group of about 3,000 sedentary people ranging in age from children to the elderly. They will start an exercise uh, program and then donate blood, fat, and muscle before and after uh, they exercise. Scientists will then examine samples for clues of how the body changes with physical activity. The control group that doesn't exercise will also be tracked for comparison. So that's the general thing but yeah, um, so we're discovering all these new proteins and we're we're looking at markers now that we never looked at before markers that are a little bit more accurate to determining whether we're really truly getting a benefit and like the article talks about you know we've always been we've always known in in a uh observational sense that exercise is good for us what the article is talking about now is as we really start narrowing down on, on, on what is actually happening when we exercise and why it's good for us and what, what's happening that makes it good for us. What is actually happening? What are the mechanisms happening that make us younger? We're finding these things out now. So instead of doctors or, or even trainers telling their patients or clients, well, exercise is good for you. We can narrow down exactly how it's good for you and exactly the kind of dosage you will need for this result, kind of like we know what kind of dosage of medicine to give for somebody for some kind of ailment that they have. So it's going to get very, very specific instead of just like this, just exercise. Well, we can tell somebody, you need to do this type of exercise Mm. based on your genetic composition and your lifestyle and your age, and you... Another person, you need this type of exercise. So it's not just some broad stroke prescription of exercise. Get your uh, exactly, not some broad stroke of exercise. The real hardcore exact answers are still a long way away. Even after the study is completed, you're just going to get much closer to whatever that prescription could be. Like medicine is, as well. Like you know, they have a basic dosage for what a man and a woman should take if they need to go to sleep of Ambien, for example, or whatever, you know, the units could actually be different for lots of different men or lots of different women, despite getting the same prescription. And I think that stuff isn't really known until you've actually done the program a little bit in the same way we, when we do our 
uh, you know, think about exercise, we actually don't know everything about the clients when they come in on day one either. You know, when they do their exercise, we put them through it at modest baseline weights, and people say, "Well, how long is it going to take before this to happen?" Or uh, should I be working out once a week or twice a week? And the thing is, sometimes we don't know exactly until we've seen them do it for a little while and see how their body adapts to to the exercise and, and until they tell us, uh, uh, you know, that they, you know, they feel energized and they don't feel tired or something like that. You know, we have to, and we have to work with those types of, those types of variables. And it's not practical for us to do muscle biopsies for these people to really <laughs> narrow it down. Like, like Mike said, we are getting closer. So there is another study that they mentioned, uh, that, that speaks to this idea of getting closer to narrowing down, uh, what we need to do for exercise. So this other study that McMaster did was, uh, they, they compared, Steady state activity to high intensity activity. Mm-hmm. Steady state, to remind our listeners, in case you don't know the expression, steady state is working out at a uh, level of intensity that you that you can sustain for quite a while, for thirty minutes, forty five minutes, an hour or more, and not totally bonk and drop. And steady state exercise is considered cardio. So they compared this cardio, steady state exercise, to uh, a group of people that just did really high intense short bursts of exercise, mm-hmm. similar to what we do uh, at Informed Fitness. And there are markers that we test to see if there's been improvement in our endurance, all right? So you can do muscle biopsies and you can do, kind of bl- you can do all kinds of blood tests. You can do what they call VO2 max testing, which is an o- how much oxygen you're consuming. And... You know, some of these markers include the increase in certain enzymes that, that are known to uh, rise when your endurance rises. So one of the ways we know that certain exercises improve our endurance, besides being able to run a longer period of time or, or jog a, or, or bike a longer period of time, we can actually validate that with, with a blood test to say, hey, look, when somebody's endurance is improving, we also notice that this enzyme is improving. And that makes sense because this enzyme is, a, is an enzyme that's uh, used in cellular respiration. So therefore, we can say pretty confidently that this exercise program builds endurance because this enzyme goes up. That we know, but we have markers. Like, like when, we, when, when people say, how do you know you have, you have to do cardio or steady state exercise to, to get healthier? And people say, well, there are tests that we've done. You know, be, uh, your VO2 max test has improved as a result of you jogging. Your certain enzymes have gone up as a result of you uh, jogging. Your glucose sensitivity, there's a test for that. All right, glucose test uh, where you drink this really crappy tasting sugary water and then uh, you take your blood over time and you see how quickly your body utilizes that glucose. The faster your body can utilize that glucose, uh, the better shape you're in, so to speak. So these are all tests that we can use to say, yes, you are getting in better shape. You are more fit, that kind of stuff. So what they were doing was they took these these two groups One did steady-state exercise, which consisted of about six hours of steady-state exercise a week. And they took another group, which consisted of like, I think, three or four minutes of exercise, but really intense exercise uh, per week. And they tested for these markers before the test, all right, before the experiment started. Then they subjected them to their uh, respective exercise programs. And then they were tested again. Now... What we're doing is we're testing 
for the same markers in one group that exercised six days a week at a steady state level versus a group of people that hardly worked out at all time-wise, but their workouts are much, much more intense. When they looked at these markers, I think even the researchers were shocked at McMaster when they noticed that these markers improved in both groups equally. equally. Turns out both groups had identical improvements in both heart function and blood sugar control. And this is a quote from one of the researchers. So one of the researchers, uh, Martin Gabala, said after the study was concluded that if you're willing and able to really push yourself very hard, then you can get away with surprisingly little exercise. And I'm like, hey, that's what we say. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, is this the same study that we learn when we go through our certification that you yes. talk about? Yes. Okay, good. And they reference this same study in this recent exactly. article. Finally. That's I mean, great. I, I mean, I remember Dr. Doug McGuff, who, who also uh, talks about this study a lot. I remember him saying he can't believe how this is not major news mm. on, on every single major media platform that exists. You know, this, this, this is like, you know, profound game-changing type of evidence that, and, and nobody is talking about it. Until now. And this study was done years ago, mm -hmm. right, maybe five years ago. Mm -hmm. So to see it in this Time Magazine article, when Dr. Dr. McGuff and myself are saying, why isn't anyone talking about this? To see it finally being talked about. God Almighty, maybe in my lifetime I will see a sea change in the way people view exercise. Maybe. I, I always thought that you know, future generations will finally see the fruits of us pioneers out there trying to convince the world that they don't have to jog around it, the world in 80 days. It is, though. It's being like, uh, I think with the advent of things like, I mean, uh, dare I say, like CrossFit and boot camps or the seven-minute workout, it's, I think – the the news is getting out there very slowly, but still people they still have this idea. First of all, I mean, it goes it goes in most people's minds to the idea of weight loss, and people still get stuck on mm -hmm. calories and if they yeah. and in versus calories out, and uh, more time spent doing something is more calories, you know, uh, expended. So that's mm -hmm. I think it, there's a lot of psychology that still has to be sort of understood in regards to. Um, you know, uh, exercise, weight loss, health, fitness, everything. And uh, I think that's what just adds to the confusion. But, I mean, I get, you know, Doug McGuff's, uh, you know, complaint. And he's, he is right, but it's just, it's still slow going, <laughs> you know. Well, oh, psychology yeah. is a good point because I really feel that it's, it's in a lot of people's head. Like, I know for me, yes, I, I, understand, I love this workout. I do it every week, but I still need to do something just for my head. You know, like I need to go hike. I need to go walk. I need to take a yoga class once in a while. I need to do other things. And that I know it makes me feel, you know, more positive, better. I, I eat better, you know, all those things. And, and so regardless of all these tests, that's what the thing is. There's so much psychology to exercise. Yeah, and the psychology that a lot of people, and myself included, really wrestle with is, you know, all of that science is great, and, and time seems to be the biggest issue for people. The old traditional mm -hmm. way we were taught 
to do exercise that Adam is talking about with all of this running and, you know, get, get your 30 minutes in a day or whatever it might be is time. People do people really have the time to go to the gym, do what they need to do three, four times a week. The answer for me was no, I've been doing this, this, this exercise with you, Sheila at Toluca Lake for now, right at 11 months. And and, and so I'm almost at a year and it is, and it's because it's doable and it's effective. I wouldn't keep going if it weren't effective. And we uh, have to I do a one-year tr- workout. That's right. Sorry. I think what I was trying to say is uh, before, and I, this, this is where you, you really feel it, is you want to make sure that everyone out there knows that the option is available. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That, like, that they don't just – because they can't exercise – 150 uh, minutes a week, week, you know, or whatever is prescribed by, you know, like by the the powers that be. Um, right. That that hey, you, wait a second, you do have this option. It's 20 minutes long. Yes, you have to push really, really hard. It's not easy to do. Uh, if you have a a good trainer and a nice environment to do it in, it's going to be safe and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I think that's the thing. People need to know that an option is available that is very intense but extremely safe. And and I think that's where the complaint is. And effective. And effective. Well, you know, when Martin Gabala made that quote. The key thing to me is when he said, if somebody is willing and able to work out this hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is the thing. Talking, so you have options, all right? We, we, we noticed that if you exercise long enough, that 150 minutes a week of steady state exercise, we've noticed that, these imp- you, that, that you can improve. You can improve your health. Uh, but it takes a lot of time. And like what you just said, Tim, you, you didn't have the time. A lot of people don't have the time. So if you're willing to push a little bit harder, or a lot harder actually, mm-hmm. uh, even though it's it's really really intense, it's it's only going to take you you know ten, fifteen, twenty minutes. You know you have to be willing to push yourself that hard. So it's a trade-off. Do you want to spend the time to get to good shape, or do you want to, or you rather not spend the time but up the intensity? It's also that like that's one piece of the puzzle, but it's also. Uh, when you're doing the 150 minutes a week of exercise, are you aware of a lot of the liabilities that are associated mm-hmm. with all that time spent doing the exercise? And that's exactly. a, another thing that uh, sometimes is not even addressed. Um, you know, I looked at the I don't I don't know if it's the most recent study, but the last study done by American Heart Association when they prescribed exercise, they actually said. I wish I had the, 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 the text with me, but they actually said, because I, I, I printed it out and it was cited in, in Body by Science also. In the actual article, they said that the exercises that were being prescribed, many of them were not certified as safe. <laughs> you know, I, I forget exactly how it was, uh, it was termed, but it was, I was surprised. That yeah, it was, so in other uh, words, they were saying, yeah. yes, you, you have to do 150 minutes of exercise a week of this type, but just know that there are... Oh, they said the likelihood of in, getting injured is, is high. high. Right, yeah, so there, yeah. there's the higher risk. So yeah. it's kind of like... So it's just like those uh, commercials on TV, those drug commercials on TV. They say it's going to cure this, but then they give this whole disclaimer at the end that it might have all these horrible side effects. Right. And that's the same thing that the, uh, the Heart Association is saying about all this exercise. Yes, you need to do all this exercise. You should do all this exercise. But just remember, there are all these side effects, mostly orthopedic injuries and things yeah. like that. And when you're injured, you can't continue to work out. <laughs> so that's yeah, kind that, of a problem. That, it's that, counterproductive. So, the, you know, so it's kind of weird. And, yeah. and it's like when you listen to these drug commercials, it's like, wait a second. I think I'd rather have a disease. <laughs> <laughs> than those side effects, to be honest with you. That's a good comparison. You know, so, yeah. you know, and, and the FDA is supposed to kind of control for this. The FDA is supposed to mm-hmm. saying, listen, the side effects are worse than the cure, so you can't even put this drug on the 
market in some cases. Well, so, but you mentioned Adam too. That you know we're talking. We, we've talked about this throughout the entire life of the podcast. Is do you want to give the 150 minutes a week elsewhere for the same results you're going to get for 20 to 30 minutes a week at an informed fitness and Somebody who's older might think, well, gosh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't work out that intensely anymore. And that's just plain not true. And I know that because of the people that we have interviewed, uh, both at your location in New York and here in Toluca Lake, uh, there are people in their 70s, 80s, 90s there's, working there's out with you. Yes, there's a very safe way of applying high-intensity exercise. And that's yeah. obviously with low-force movements and doing it according to muscle and joint function. And that's what we do and, and continue to do. This is the thing about this 150 minutes of exercise, and this is where the article gets a little confusing or convoluted, and that is, in one sentence they say, let me read, there's a sidebar in the article Mm -hmm. that says this, the World Health Organization and the U.S. Center for Disease Control say that you need 150, that's where we got this 150 minutes of exercise from, from from the World Health Organization and and, uh, the Center for Disease Control. And they say that you need about 150 minutes of aerobic activity per week, and strength training twice a week. Mm. So And and is the key word there, right? And strength training twice a week, all right? And then further down on the same sidebar, they continue to say that you should do aerobic for endurance exercise and anaerobic for strength. So that's where the pushback is. Earlier in the article, they just said that the Mm. McMaster studies (laughs) kind of showed that maybe you don't need to do both. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so they're, the they, they're, not even listen, they're not even reading their own research, the, the authors of this article and the <laughs> editors of this article, right? Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, they also say that this 150 minutes of aerobic exercise uh, consists, can consist of walking the dog, uh, gardening, uh, brisk cleaning, walking, and even cleaning, car- the house. cleaning the house, <laughs> cleaning the house and carrying groceries. Can, so if you're doing all those things, those counts for the 150 minutes. And this is, what, this is why when I gave this article to all my clients to read, they came back and said to me, wait a second, Adam, why did you give me this article to read? I'm like, what do you mean? He says, well, it definitely supported your argument you know, that high-intensity exercise has these profound effects, health effects. I get that. And they, and they cited that from those studies. But then they also say you need to do cardio. And you tell me I don't have to do cardio. So which one is it? And why would you send me this article? Because like you're telling me I, I, all I need is to do this. And I said, well, not exactly. And I said, and the article doesn't really contradict me as much as you might think. And let me explain. Because that 150 minutes of what they call cardio consists of just basically living your life and, and being active <laughs> – Carrying in the groceries, <laughs> kind of have so, to do that. You know what? So be it. Then, then, because I've always said, what you need. So instead of, in other words, what 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 shift has to happen in people's minds is not a balance between aerobic exercise and anaerobic exercise, a strength training, which is considered anaerobic, because those are co- completely without getting into the biochemistry right now. Those are those are misuses of the words aerobic and anaerobic. It shouldn't be in contrast. Like they're not opposites either. Like uh, they're connected. I mean, yeah. from a from a biochemical point of view, from a biochemistry point of view, you can't separate the two. And even if you can separate the two, why is the aerobic part so damn important? I mean, but you can't separate. It. But that's that's 
maybe a discussion for a whole other podcast mm-hmm. to get into the weeds in the biochemistry of cellular respiration. But this is the thing. If they're saying that the aerobic consists of gardening and walking your dog, then we're in, we're in line, all right? Because this is what I'm saying. Instead of making distinction between exercises being anaerobic and aerobic, as McMaster studies just pointed out, the distinction should be more like this. The, the, the distinction should be between choosing between intense exercise and not intense exercise. So what I'm saying is, and, with my, and my response to my clients was this, the article saying that intense workouts can give you the same benefits as these long steady state workouts. So let's do this, the intense, all right? And, and, and you can move on with your day. And they're saying also that you have to do this aerobic. And I put aerobic in quotes. Mm-hmm. So all I'm saying is, and I've always said this, listen, do this once a week or twice a week and then go out and be active. Live your life. Don't be a couch potato. Go walk your dog. Go garden. So I'm telling people to do that anyway because it is, there are benefits to all these things. All right? So we're on the same page, except they're calling it aerobic. I'm not calling it aerobic. I'm calling it non-intense. I'm calling it moderate intensity exercise. So what I'm saying to my clients is do all you need is one really intense bout of exercise a week, and then you need about 150 minutes the rest of the week for moderate intensity exercise. Don't call it aerobic because that's really not accurate. It's just not really intense. So you can call it what you want. You can call it aerobic, you can call it moderate intensity. The point is, live your life, walk your dog, garden, and make sure once a week you get to a gym where you're pushing yourself to the max and you're pushing your energy systems to the max and that's where all these profound, youthful, all these profound fountain of youth a property to start kicking in. I think the big uh, state of confusion in that whole thing is just the, and I think we addressed it before on a previous podcast, is the confusion between the words cardio and aerobic, mm-hmm. or like, and that and how they're used synonymously. Um, and I think that's, I think those, that's where I think everything is. Uh, that's one of the many things that is drawing a lot of confusion, and why this writer who just talked about the McMaster study and then sort of uh, and then tells you you need to still do aerobic. Yeah, because I, I don't. The thing is, it's it's misleading, but there's I think there's truth and false to it all. You know what the most aerobic state of our lives are when yeah. we're sleeping, hmm. by the way, or sitting. That, that is when we're being most aerobic. All right. So like again. Uh, it's, it's a complete misunderstanding of, of biochemistry, which we really can't get into in a 20-minute podcast right now. What, what we can address right now is the idea that there is a difference between intense exercise and non-intense exercise. And non-intense exercise has benefits, according to this article, right? They're saying you have to do aerobic exercise, which really means non-intense exercise, just moderate intensity. And so... Again, it's just living your life and being active. If you are walking to work or if you're walking your dog and you're gardening and if you're not just sitting on a couch all day long, every single mm-hmm. day, you are exercising aerobically, you know? And that's what it. So about I don't the, even have the an po- argument anymore because like, you know, we can get into nitty-gritty between aerobic and anaerobic, but like it doesn't matter. The bottom line is you have to do something really intense once a week or twice a week for a brief period of time. 
And then you have to be active. Just be, lead an active life and you can choose whatever activity you want. You're doing your cardio. Inten- intensity, it, it, there's a lot of discussions here. Like it, you just made me think. I was just thinking about uh, my dad who's 77 and uh, who is very sedentary at the moment. And you know, I'm trying to encourage him to be a little bit more active. And the thing is getting up for him and walking to the mailbox is as intense as power of exactly. ten is to me right. You know, right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, my dad that's too. why I don't even try to tell him to do anything except get up and walk to the mailbox a few times a day. Or not that you know, but to do it at least one it's not the same as the power of ten. But it's it's a, an enormous effort for him, you know? Intensity and, is relative to the person. I mean, what's intense for one person might not be intense for somebody else. Exactly. So, like, my dad also has problems walking right now. He's some neurological thing going on. We haven't really figured it out. And I say, Dad, get on, get on, the, uh, get on that recumbent bike in the bi- basement and, and push yourself for a couple minutes on that thing. Now, mm-hmm. to somebody that doesn't really understand the differences of all, these, of all this biochemistry, you might say, Adam, you just said that's not really going to do much for him. That, that's really be intense exercise. And, and what Mike just said, my father getting on the recumbent bike for five minutes will be a very intense experience for him. So it's not contradicting my viewpoint. I mean, my father couldn't do a leg press right now. He can hardly walk. So even doing a bicycle is right. really, really intense. And then you progress from there. You, you know, remember when uh, McGuff actually, he, it, I think, made it more clear when you when you try to like take recreation or little activities like gardening or whatever and exercise, he was referring to it oftentimes as mechanical work. When you put a demand on the muscle, like to do anything, walk upstairs, walk down the street, lift a weight, carry a brick, whatever it is, it's it, you, you might be you're doing some sort of mechanical work. You're asking your muscle to do something. Is it intense? Like is it is it not intense like gardening or walking to the you know carrying a little grocery bag in no but you're moving you're using your body to do something that's aerobic you know Adam was just speaking like sleeping is aerobic you know and then there's high intensity stuff that is relative which could be uh, walking to the 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 mailbox for my dad or doing power of ten for us and I think this is where the conversation which is great about this article. And I think why Adam picked it out is because it gets this conversation going where we can really start to once again, you know, like get, uh, uh, you know, help people understand when they hear the word aerobic, what it really means. What when they hear the word strength, tra- uh, anaerobic and strength training, what what that really entails and how much it really needs to be. So that's the that's what is great about this, uh, this article um, with even its misleading uh, comments is that it's getting the conversation going in the right direction still. I wanted to talk about how in here they say that to build muscle and strengthen bones, you really only need to use your body weight as resistance. You don't have to go to the gym and lift weights and do things, you know. The difference between us doing power of 10 really intensely and they're saying here, we try to think of muscle strength and power as a 65-year-old lady picking up a gallon of milk. And, you know, to us, that's like... Oh my God, that's nothing. But, you know, to me, it's like if you come in and you do a safe exercise like this, what we do, you know, for whatever age and whatever level, then you make, it makes all those little things like walking to the mailbox and doing the, you know, makes those better eventually. Do you ever get to the point where you're like, it's dangerous to come and try to push yourself very safely with uh, heavier weights? They're saying in here, 
you don't need to do that in order to build bone and muscle strength. Well, they're saying you don't need to. You can do. You don't need machines. You don't need to hire expensive trainers and stuff like that. Intensity. I mean, I've always said that you know machines that we have here, as ergonomic as they are, and especially as special as they are for the technique of lifting weights slowly. I mean, they're the safest things around. Um, but let's make no mistakes. We're still just fatiguing muscle, and you can right. do that in a, a lot of ways and you can do it safely a lot of ways and using your body weight especially if you're not very strong I mean body weight exercises can be extremely intense and maybe it actually in a lot of cases too intense I mean like for example you know it's funny they say do body weight exercise there are a lot of people that can't do body weight exercise there are people out there that can't even do one single push up there are people out there that can't do one single chin up so I mean yeah, I, I you have to, to use yeah. sometimes machines to be able to start at, at a lower intensity or lower mm-hmm. weight that is still intense for somebody else. So again, they're, they're talking about the tools. It's irrelevant. Body weight, machines, milk jugs, it's all relevant. It's, it's about intensity, not, not, not the tools that you use. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other discussion. What are the best tools? Well, we can talk about what the best tools and why we have our why we go through such great lengths to redesign our equipment. But they're still just tools. Like my father once told me, a good craftsman never blames his tools. So if I had to be stuck on a desert island, uh, which you know sometimes very appealing, actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> life. If I was stuck on a desert island and I didn't have all my fancy medics retrofitted equipment here. I'd still know what to do. I'd still know how to give myself an intense workout. And I don't need all this stuff to be really, really strong. I can do a set of chin-ups on the tree, and I can do a wall squat against that tree, and, and, and do that for the rest of my life and stay extremely strong. So that's one of these confusing elements that the media and naive or misinformed trainers often project. They, they don't realize that, you know, like, like aerobic in general, the word aerobic, all right? If you're doing something on a treadmill, that's aerobic. If you're working out really intensely on a treadmill, if you're pushing yourself, if you're doing intervals on a treadmill, for example, and pushing yourself until exhaustion, that, you know, doing sprints, you know, maybe you're running a quarter mile, you know, on a treadmill uh, as fast as you can. Maybe you're running a mile as fast as you can on a treadmill. So the whole thing, you know, if you're running a mile in eight minutes or seven minutes, that's a really intense mile, a seven-minute mile or a six-minute mile, depending on the person. If you were to do something really intense for a minute or two minutes on a leg press or do a whole workout that's really intense like that uh, in a gym with machines, the body doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. body responds to intensity. So the tools that you're using to get to this intensity – doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. Our distinction should be mean, should be between is the activity intense or is it moderate? You should have one or two intense workouts a week and you should have the rest of your workouts, the rest of your 150 required minutes to be moderate. So the real question going forward when you finish this article, an article like this, to me, the real question is this. And this is where I think science needs to go. And these are the questions that I think science needs to be asking. That is, what is the proper balance between moderate work and intense work? And what unique benefits do each bring? Because maybe there are unique benefits that moderate exercise gives to us. Not because it's a treadmill, but it's just not intense. So there may be benefits that walking and gardening give you that high-intensity strength training doesn't. 
and vice versa. High intensity strength training, we know, bring out benefits that steady state moderate exercise can't. So the question is, do we need both? Does high intensity exercise satisfy all of it? Or do we still need to do some moderate exercise on the side? Or, and if, and if we do, how much of it? And what are the different benefits of each? These are things that need to be explored. And, and, and they should be talked about that way, not aerobic versus anaerobic, because that, that's, that's a false uh, you know, assertion. I mean, there's no such thing as anaerobic versus aerobic exercise. I, I want us to change from that, those, that verbiage and talk about how much intense exercise do we need and how much moderate exercise do we need and uh, go from there. So all in all, the takeaway from this article is, first of all, very positive mm-hmm. and supports what my impression was 18 years ago when I started in this business. And it, it just fuels my, uh, my enthusiasm to, to, to go in this direction. And the overarching message of this article says, guess what? You can actually spend much less time doing it more intensely and get pretty much the same results. So uh, that doesn't have to be an excuse anymore. That takes away a huge obstacle for people that you could get a lot of exercise, a lot of bang for your buck just from working out 20 minutes, 40 minutes a week of intense work. We all think that we need to do this steady state cardio type exercise to burn calories and strengthen our heart. And one of the big obstacles to doing that is that people don't have all that time to do that. And really what this new science is showing us is we can get those benefits without spending all that time. You just have to increase the intensity. So if you increase the intensity, your body will burn more calories. You will raise your metabolism. You will get strong and you will build endurance. And it doesn't require 150, 200, 300, 400 minutes a week. It can just take about 20 minutes a week. And that's it. No more excuses. Hey, why don't you give the workout a try for yourself, just like I did about a year ago? Visit informfitness.com for a list of locations across the U.S. If you don't happen to live near one of the locations, jump on over to Amazon and pick up Adam's book, Power of 10, the once-a-week slow-motion fitness revolution. Inside, you'll find some easy-to-follow instructions to perform this workout at just about any gym or even at home. And back here in the podcast, Adam, Mike, and Sheila can answer a question or respond to a comment you might have regarding the Power of 10. Just shoot us an email or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to podcast at informfitness.com. You can also give us a call at 888-983-5020, extension 3, to leave your comment or question. You might even have a suggestion on some topics we should cover here on the show or might have a guest in mind you'd like for us to interview. All feedback is welcome. Thanks again for joining us here at the Inform Fitness Podcast. For Adam, Mike, and Sheila, I'm Tim Edwards with the Inbound Podcasting Network.